So we are live. Hello, Sean, welcome Facebook. back after a one-week hiatus. It's good to have you here. Thanks for having me. How interesting. It looks like uh, my blue wall is the same as your blue ceiling. <laughs> How does that I work? Like it. I like it. I don't know. Just coincidence, it seems. We did not, I mean, plan, we did not plan on that. So cool. Um, well, welcome. Uh, today, basketball players, we want to talk about the posterior chain. Um, Sean, being an athlete, if I can call you that, former athlete. Yeah, sure. I'm definitely a former athlete. I, I pretend like I'm a current athlete. <laughs> but um, we know the posterior chain uh, is necessary for you guys and girls as basketball players if you want to be the best, the fastest, the quickest that you can be. If you want to optimize your performance on the court, you have to strengthen the posterior chain. Isn't that right, Sean? Uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, if we want to just jump right in, the posterior chain is responsible for horizontal movement, also aids in vertical movement. So if you're trying to propel yourself forward or up, you pretty much need to strengthen the posterior chain. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to share my screen here. Uh, let's look at um, for those of you who don't know, uh, the posterior chain, uh, boom, 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 boom. We'll get to some of these in a minute. Please. So I know a lot of you don't speak, uh, or English is a second language. So the posterior is the backside, basically. Every muscle in the backside of your body is what we're talking about. So anterior being the front side, posterior being the backside. So when we talk about the posterior chain, Obviously, everyone knows what a chain is, the, the links together in the chain. Uh, the posterior is basically the makeup of your entire backside of your body from, uh, honestly, it starts at your eyebrows, that, that uh, superficial back line of the fascia, but it starts at your eyebrows and goes all the way over the skull, down the back of your side, uh, to your heel, and actually under your foot. If you look at the, the, uh, the, the picture here, the image, you can see that that line literally goes all the way under and wraps all the way up to the big toe. So your entire backside is critical. Um, and so, yeah, so that's what we're talking about today. Um, Sean, you kind of touched on it already talking about horizontal and vertical movement, but yeah. can you kind of go a little deeper um, talking about, let's talk about horizontal movement first. So um, we know that in sports, especially in basketball, um, but we're talking about, you know, American football, even soccer, um, the, the plays that make you money, the plays that make you win basketball games are, are the plays that happen in within zero to five meters. So, oh, yeah. um, so what does the posterior chain look like in terms of action, in terms of movement in horizontal, uh, so about the horizontal plane uh, in yeah. zero to five meters? Um, well, what you're looking for is hip extension. So the musculature in the glutes, mostly anytime you bring your knee up and then drive your knee back down to create force against the ground, your glutes are responsible for that drive action. You're hitting the ground and striking to propel yourself forward. So I think that photo you just pulled up, um, we're talking about acceleration forward movement. We basically either, if we're accelerating, we push the ground away from us kind of like with this top knee goes down and then it turns out looking like that back leg, but I've got my ankle fully, the muscles in the ankle are working as hard as they can up to the calf. My knees fully straight and extended. So my muscles in my um, hamstrings are fully working. And then my heel is behind me. So my hip 
is working as well. So triple extension is one of the key features in sports we're looking for, but all ground-based power movements essentially end up in this triple extension period, whether you're accelerating from a sprint or you're extending vertically in your jump, you have to maximally contract the ankle, knee, and hip to get the most strength and power out of your movement. Yeah, I agree. And then, and you know, this is obviously in a track setting, but in the basketball setting, um, you know, one of the videos that, that gets a lot of attention in the group is how to have a quicker first step. And so yeah. in basketball, you catch the ball on the wing, you make a rip through type movements, or you might be already on the dribble, crossover dribble, and then you go and do a, a big push off, a quick first step. So it mm -hmm. looks like that track movement, but yeah. in the context of basketball, everything's the same, correct? Sure. It's, it's movement just translated in different sports. You're still pushing the ground behind you to excel your body forward. Um, one thing that I want to touch on real quick with acceleration is in that first five yard increment, it's important to project. And what, when we train all of our NFL guys and all of our speed coaching, projection is getting your shoulders and over yourself to create that acceleration angle, which is going to be best at about a 45 degrees. So you project to line up your body so that when you kick the ground away from you, you've made that really good acceleration line. So I think that's critical in creating a good first step is creating it's creating a longer step, not taking a longer step. You've extended and pushed to make a bigger step, not taking a long step, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and going, adding on to your point, to a little more practical is I really enjoy that's the sled work. That's why I do a lot of sled work, sled pushes, mm. um, sled, sled drags. Um, because if you look at somebody, I wonder if I could pull something up really quickly. Um, but if you look at how the uh the sled works um so let's say prowler sled drag um you will get so this sure looks like a uh somebody in an acceleration position same yeah. thing here same thing here i do a lot of pulls with the straps um but usually the other way something like this guy so um let's click on him and see what's going on but but you know if you look at what this person looks like, they are in an acceleration mm -hmm. position. Like you said, they're at a 45 degree angle. Their shoulders are in front of the legs. They're creating a force, pushing the ground away from them. And they're hauling this weight, however much this is. And so if you get really competent and strong at pulling a lot of weight like this, when you are on your own, you know, holding a basketball uh, or just getting up the basketball court, making a cut, it becomes a lot easier because you've trained your body to move so much weight. Yeah. With the posterior chain, the, the first thing I think of with the, when we're talking posterior chain is structural balance. Um, if you guys and girls hang out in this, in this uh, Facebook group long enough, um, you'll hear me talk more and more about it. I've already talked about structural balance in just about every video. Um, it's not always the case, but the majority of athletes, the majority of basketball players that I see, uh, that I work with, they are quad dominant, uh, the quadriceps, the front part of your thighs. Okay. Um, and so we need to strengthen the backside, the posterior chain, the muscles that oppose. So you have the, the front side of the thighs or the quads, the backside of the thighs are the hamstrings. And if they are out of balance, it can create an unstable knee joint. And so 
First and foremost, we really want to strengthen hamstrings uh, as well as the hips, the glutes and things like that, because we want to create stability in the joints. Um, because remember where there is a weakness present, the body will do a couple things. The one thing it'll do is it'll create stiffness. It'll create in, inflexibility um, to uh, basically allow the joint to be stiffer to prevent injury. Yeah. So if you are tight, if you're inflexible, chances are you're weak at one of these muscles and we need to improve it so that your body can essentially unlock the range of motion and allow for better mobility, better flexibility. Um, but we also need to get you in balance because if we take, and I have no idea where LeBron is, but let's use LeBron as an example. If LeBron is structurally imbalanced, if we take LeBron and put him in structural balance, he will beat that unstructurally balanced LeBron 10 times out of 10, barring lucky shots and things like that. So, sure. so you yourself as a basketball player, if you're in structural balance, you will be less prone to injury. You will be able to unlock mobility and range of motion. You will be able to run faster and jump higher. And that's just common knowledge, basic science, what we know from training. So strengthen your posterior chain to, uh, to basically increase your own motor. And that's what I like to talk about with when I work with athletes. Um, I don't necessarily look at it like sports specific training. If I was training Sean, I would look at Sean as this vehicle that wants to run a race. So if you have an automobile and you take it to the track and you, you run the quarter mile like we do here in the States and say you do it in 13 seconds, and the next week you do it in 13 seconds. And then the next week you don't do anything to the car again and you still run 13 seconds, but you're expecting your car to get faster. Um, it's kind of silly. It's kind of stupid because you haven't done anything to improve the car. Yeah. What I want to do is improve the car. I want to improve the motor. I want to take it from a two liter to a four liter to a six liter. I want to strap a turbocharger on it more output it faster so that when we get to practice, when we get to games, um, the performance is now even better. Um, so strengthen the posterior chain to improve structural balance. And that will be key for you. Um, so we talked horizontal, Sean, go ahead. Uh, real quick. You made a really good point about strengthening the glutes and the hips and the posterior chain for injury prevention. I just wanted to, uh, throw another piece of information out there. Yeah. Um, basketball players, you'll notice this a lot, but if you ever notice anybody landing from a jump, and you notice their knees buckle in towards each other. Uh, we call that a valgus collapse. Um, that's a science word, but the, the knock knee position is actually a risk factor for ACL tears. Um, and the reason the knees usually buckle in, it's a couple of things, but um, part, of the, part of the issue usually is a weak glute and that would be your glute medius, which is responsible for stabilizing the hip. Um, so if you do work the posterior chain, especially in the glute med, there's a bunch of ways to do it, but um, that will help control the knees, which will help reduce the chances of having ACL injuries. So super important to work the hips, not only for strength and power, but also to make sure we're in good alignment and structural balance like Bill's talking about. Yeah. So if you look at, um, I had it pulled up. So thanks for saying that. Um, where'd I put it? So the action of the glute maximus. Okay. One of the actions is external rotation of the femur. And we're going a little bit in the weeds here. We're, we're getting a little bit, you know, taking a deeper dive, but basketball players, it's important that you know this, um, that the glutes 
do a, a big job, sorry, where are we, Maximus, um, essentially of holding your thigh bone in place, that femur bone. And so if you look at this athlete here, oh. and this, this is the NFL combine, okay? This is uh, RG3, Robert Griffin III, who was the NFL Rookie of the Year. Uh, this is his 2000, 2012 NFL Combine. Uh, when he landed, his knees collapsed so far inward that they almost touched. So when your knees cave inward, like Sean talked about, um, the ACL essentially holds the knee from breaking inward. And so when your knees collapse, it puts extreme amount of stress and extreme amount of torque on your ACL. The glutes keep your, your, your knees or keep your, your, your femurs, your thigh bones from turning inwards and they actually hold them outwards. They externally rotate the femur. So strengthening your, your, uh, your glutes is hugely important at stabilizing the knee, which most basketball players don't think about. They just you know, think about other things. So it's really important. And then Phil, can you pull up that picture again? I wanna highlight something as well. Um, so not only is this an important image and uh, concept for injury prevention, but if you think about now, let's transition into force output and creating power. If you look at his knees, the force is no longer propelling him up. It's propelling his knees inward. So we'd call that an energy leak or like a movement compensation. Yeah. But essentially, if you're jumping, you want your knees to track properly so that you produce the most force either to go forward or up. He's got a, a collapse in his knees, which is dissipating or dampening or reducing the amount of force he can actually create. So not only is it a dangerous position for injury, but it's also like hurting your athletic potential. And you're talking about the NFL rookie of the year. Like this guy was a stud until he got hurt. Well, he tore his ACL. <laughs> yeah, he tore his ACL. So if you look at this, it, it's a prime example of, oh, that makes sense why he tore his ACL. Um, because the forces there were just so great that it was like, eh, sorry, I can't do this anymore. And mm -hmm. what, I, what I like to say a lot of times is when there is an injury, that joint is usually not the culprit. That joint is usually the victim. There's yeah. usually other muscles involved, and it's usually at an adjacent joint. So the knee was just the weak link, essentially the ACL. But he probably, and I don't know his exact situation, but he probably had a weakness above or below the joint. What we're talking about is ideally probably at the hip joint. He had weaknesses which exposed themselves and he tore his ACL and now his NFL career is over. So even though he had such a superb athleticism, he could have even been as scary as that sounds, a more freaky athlete uh, if he was uh, more in structural balance. Um, one thing I want to talk about too uh, in basketball, it's really, really important is, uh, is change of direction speed. Uh, and we know from the literature, we know from the scientific literature, um, eccentric strength is hugely important with change of direction speed. Um, Sean and I were talking about this in the weight room yesterday when we were talking about tempos. Um, and it, one thing that it's really important, uh, especially with your hamstrings. So the backside of the thigh, the hamstrings are a huge muscle group, big muscles. They're all fast twitch, 100%. Um, so to give you a little bit of practical application, uh, you need to train the hamstrings heavy 
You need to train them low reps, but you also need to train them with really slow eccentrics. Um, they need to be strong while the muscle is lengthening uh, because the hamstrings are your primary decelerators uh, and your hamstrings. So if you think about it, if you're going one way and you go to stop and cut the other way, change of direction speed not only involves you being able to plant and push off in one direction, but you actually have to stop first going the other, going one way before going the other way. So change of direction really, really involves a deceleration quickly before accelerating. And the main uh, movers that do that are your hamstrings. So train them with long, slow eccentrics, and that will improve your change of direction speed. And that not only looks, um, we not only see that in the weight room practically, just from our own evidence and watching, but we also, uh, anecdotal evidence, uh, but we also see that in the literature, that eccentric strength is critical and the most important thing uh, for change of direction speed. Yeah, fully, uh, fully agree with that, Phil. Um, one practical um, for the hamstring strength being a really important decelerator is when you look at someone who's running at full speed or accelerating or moving fast, if they tear a hamstring, it's usually not from pushing off the ground. They usually tear the hamstring when they swing their knee up to make that next step when their heel travels away from them and they're about to take their step, when that heel extends, that's the hamstring lengthening. And so if the eccentric qualities of your hamstring aren't strong, that's where you're gonna see a muscle tear. Um, mostly, mostly a hamstring tear comes off that eccentric gait phase with the knee already up and about to step. So the hamstring's super important. Um, they also, again, stabilize the knee to protect against in injury. Like we were just talking about there, if someone has an injured knee or an injured ACL, the hamstring is going to be one of the first muscle groups to over-engage and over-activate. They're going to act as a secondary protective mechanism for that ACL and help uh, reduce some of the shifting in the knee. So yeah, hamstrings are super important. I agree. And thanks for sharing that. And, uh, and to go even further with the knee. So we've talked a little bit about the glutes. We've talked a little bit about the hamstrings. Hamstrings are just above the knee, um, just below the knee. And I'm pulling it up here. I'm going to share my screen again. Uh, just below the knee is, is the calf muscle. Now there's actually two calf muscles. And most people don't realize that. Um, there's the gastrocnemius, which is the calf muscle that most people see. Okay, it's that ball in the back of your, uh, up of your lower leg. Uh, and then the gastrocnemius, and then there's the soleus. And the soleus is a little flatter and it runs almost the entire under. length. Uh, yeah, under and almost the entire length of your lower leg. Um, the gastrocnemius, as you can see, it, it kind of comes up here and it attaches at the knee. Um, the soleus actually does not, it stops here, okay? So both of these muscles help to uh, straighten or extend we call it plantar flexion, but we basically, if you, when you go up on your toes, okay, think about that. Uh, both of these muscles work at the ankle, but only the gastroc works at the knee. And you can see how it crosses the knee joint and it connects to the hamstrings behind the knee like this, and they kind of grab onto each other. And, and one way to, to think about your knee stability is when you have the hamstring and the, and the, and the, and the calf or the gastroc, the specific calf muscle, grabbing the knee behind, 
if they're both strong, your knee will probably be pretty strong because most people, some people need it, but most people are, 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 are strong enough in the quads. But for, for, for sake of the argument, strengthen the hamstrings, strengthen the gastroc, and, and the back of your knee will be really strong. And if there's a weakness, you'll have one strong and one weak, there'll be a lot of weakness. And then, so, um, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna add on to your point right there while we were talking about the calves. Um, a lot of times in practical training uh, situations, you'll see people doing a calf raise, but a calf raise is typically done with your knee straight, um, which is gonna activate the gastroc. Uh, I also find it's pretty important to do uh, bent knee exercises to strengthen the calf and the ankle musculature because as Phil mentioned, the soleus, the underneath calf muscle only works from the knee down. So if you've ever done this stretch where you push up against the wall and you're stretching your calf out with a straight leg, you're gonna notice a lot of stretch in the upper half of your calf because you're stretching the gastrocnemius. If you do that same wall stretch, uh, with your foot behind you and you're bending your ankle and you're getting a good stretch. If you did that with your knee bent, you're going to get a good stretch through the soleus. Um, and when we're talking about why this is important, the soleus also attaches to your Achilles tendon. So having a strong soleus will be equally as important in pre uh, preventing Achilles tendon issues. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and, and I was actually going there too. So it's really good that, that you said that the gastroc um, if you, if you think about it again, when you plant uh, off your toes, like as if you're jumping or sprinting, uh, both of those calf muscles work vertically and horizontally, but the gastrocnemius is uh, fast twitch. It's hundred percent fast twitch fibers. The soleus is slow twitch. So when you're training your calves in a straight leg position, so your knees are straight, you need to train them heavier. You need to train them with lower reps, heavier weight. When you're training in a bent knee position, because the gastroc is a little bit uh, uh, um, inhibited because the knee is bent, it's more soleus and that's slow twitch, you need to train a little bit lower weight and a little bit higher reps. Both are important, um, but only the gastroc crosses the knee. So both are posterior chain, chain uh, and we just gave you some great examples of how to train those two, uh, th those two muscles. Um, Anything to add on that, Sean, before we go on? Um, yeah, just um, if you're doing any sort of like tissue preparation, if, if you're making sure that you're uh, doing your jump training and your impact absorption and um, make sure you're doing straight knee jumps and bent knee jumps specifically to target the gastroc and the soleus. Just a little how. So another thing that I've talked about in the videos in this group are <clears throat> Uh, one of the, the term I've used is uh, strength curve, okay? And understanding the strength curve. So there's ascending uh, strength curves, there's descending strength curves. What do I mean by that? So if we look at a deadlift, um, and if you've done a deadlift or a squat, extension movements are always ascending strength curves. So if you've done a deadlift like this, you know that it's most difficult at the bottom. And then as you go through the motion, it gets easier it's an ascending strength curve. Essentially, you get stronger as you go through the motion for lack of a better analogy. So, so as this gal pulls up, she's getting, you're essentially stronger, okay? So what does that mean? It means in this position here at the bottom, it's the most difficult. So what are we doing in a deadlift? We're actually training the uh, low range of the strength curve. 
Okay, so there's a there's a there's a very popular uh, basketball training guy. He's huge on Instagram. He's huge on YouTube. Most of you probably know him and have seen his videos. Um, and he likes to use machines to squat because he feels he can uh, extend through the full range of motion powerfully. Um, it is what it is. It's a good way to train, I guess. Um, I tend to look at the strength curve as the deadlift is a great exercise. Uh, but if we're talking posterior chain, it primarily strengthens the low range. So that very first part, and then at the end, it gets easier. So how do we strengthen the mid and the upper range? Uh, and hopefully I haven't lost you yet. So if you look at the angle of her, of her torso in relation to her legs, the, uh, as bent over as she is, this is where she's getting the strongest. Where does gravity affect you the most? Okay. And in a deadlift, it's at the bottom. So we're strengthening the mid range. If you go to uh, an RDL, for example, so here's an RDL. The angle of the torso is a little bit more upright. So we're strengthening the mid range of the strength curve. So I use deadlifts to strengthen the low end. I use RDLs and other exercises to strengthen the mid range. And then where is the torso in relation to the hips in a horizontal back extension that's fully straight. So at the very end from here to here, essentially if this person were standing on their feet, that's the part of the strength curve that we're, that we're, that we're improving, that we're strengthening. So as an athlete, as a basketball player, you have to be aware of the strength curve and you have to make sure that you get stronger in the low range, in the mid range, and in the high uh, uh, high range of the strength curve. Sean, strength curve talk. Any uh, anything to add? Yeah. Um, well, just specifically to the hamstrings. Another way to just conceptualize that is I think of like a knee dominant hamstring position, and I think of a hip dominant hamstring position. So the knee dominant, what I would consider knee dominant, is any like the machines where you're just curling the heels close to the butt, you're, you're curling. So the knees are working the most, or some people like to use a Swiss ball, the physio ball with the heels on it and they bring the ball yep. close to them. Yep. Um, those I would consider knee dominant. So you're training more of the muscle groups closer to the knee, proximal to the knee versus like the deadlift and the RDL, I consider more of a hip dominant where the glutes are the primary mover and the rest of the hamstring is just assisting. So um, just another way to kind of conceptualize it, but. Um, Phil makes a good point. Phil calls it the strength curve. I call it something a little different. It's called a, like a length tension curve where when muscles are stretched the most, like he was talking about the hip joint, that muscle is on the most stretch, which means if it's on a lot of stretch, it's usually not as forceful. So at the bottom of a deadlift, your glutes are on and your hamstrings are at the most stretched. So they produce the least force. And as they stand up, the muscles contract closer together, producing more force. So when he says an ascending strength curve, I think that is like a visual representation of a stretched out hamstring being weak. And then as the tension or as the uh, stretch decreases, the force gets stronger and stronger. So it's kind of a weird inverse relationship, but um, hopefully that, that kind of just helps visualize the strength curve. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he mentioned the, the, the hamstrings and I was going to touch on that. You need to train hamstrings as knee flexors before you train them as hip extensors. So what do I mean by that? So I would do hamstring exercises 
uh, single joint hamstring exercises before I would do something like an RDL. That exercise that I just showed you where the guy had the barbell and he's bending over. Um, because the muscle fiber makeup of the hamstrings and because of the recruitment pattern that the brain sends to the, to the lower body, sends to the muscles, we want to train the hamstrings as knee flexors or bending the knee uh, before we train them as hip extensors. So when you're, when you're trying to work out, and if you don't know what that means, hire a good coach, okay? Um, but that's what we need to do in terms of our workouts. Um, Sean, before we go, um, let's just talk real quick about vertical jump and the posterior. Yeah, yeah definitely. You want me to kick that off? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so we've done a lot of vertical jump training, specifically my background with it is training players for the NFL combine, uh, specifically to increase their vertical jump. Um, so one thing we would always coach is you're starting tall and then you're going to shoot your hands and hips back. So we actually want to engage the glutes. The reason for this is to put the glute on stretch. Any muscle you can stretch wants to contract. Muscle has an elastic property like a rubber band, where if you stretch it, you're going to get some um, contractile force. You're going to get a lot more uh, snap off of it, essentially. So it's important for the vertical jump to kind of what Phil was doing is kind of extending the chest down. We're going to shoot the hips and hamstrings back. And then as I bring my hips forward, then my knees kind of produce the last little bit of that jump. But if you're only bending your knees on a vertical jump, you're only getting half the power you could be because you're not activating as much muscle as you could be. So the hamstrings and glutes and the posterior chain is, I would say, as important, if not more important than what the knees do for your vertical jump. Um, and this is especially important when you're, you're running or you're coming in at full speed to decelerate. You're going to need a lot more of that muscle group to help you stop and reproduce and redirect the force. Yeah. Yeah. I concur. Uh, athletes we've, we've talked and I will continue to talk till I'm blue in the face about basketball players, weight training to improve your ability to triple extend. The stronger you are, the greater the potential you give yourself to jump yes. higher and to run faster. Yes. Doesn't mean you necessarily will. We have to convert that into speed strength. Yes. Convert that into power. But, the stronger you are through the entire strength curve, the better chance and the greater capacity you have to jump higher and to run faster. Okay. Everybody who plays the game of basketball will say, if I said uh, I can give you two to four inches on your vertical, they would all say, yes, please. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, we can put two to four inches on your vertical in the next couple months with proper training. That doesn't mean ladder drills. That doesn't mean fancy footwork drills. That means practicing and training your muscles to go through that motion of down and up in a fast and a forceful and a powerful way. Um, and that starts with structural balance and that starts with being strong. Agreed. Especially in the posterior chain. Um, and Agreed. we didn't get to the low back, the mid back, the ability of the lats, uh, the, those outside back muscles and how they connect in an X shape way to the glutes and how they are, are they, they, they aid and they help the glutes. Um, we didn't even get to the, the, the upper, upper body of the post of the, of the posterior chain. So part two, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe we'll do a part two in the future, but, uh, but as for now, um, I want to keep these to about 30 minutes. Uh, Sean, anything you want to add? 
Um, just um, to add on to your point, you said strength is what we need first. Strength will build your capacity for explosive power. Um, one of my professors through grad school always say, you need to be strong to be powerful, but being strong doesn't make you powerful. Like Phil said, it's gonna increase your capacity, but we need to then convert the strength to explosive speed and power. So um, there's a lot of ways to do that, especially in the weight room. Um, probably another day we could talk about that, but strength should be your biggest priority, especially through the posterior chain. Guys, girls, you are getting some great information and I don't claim to have done the research. Uh, I have seen so far because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say, um, there is some great information out there. I hope this helped you. Um, we want you to improve as an athlete, uh, which will help you be a better basketball player on the court. And, and I appreciate Sean helping uh, this podcast. And I really hope that you got something out of it. If you have questions on training the posterior chain, if you have uh, uh, injuries uh, in the knees, the hips, the ankles, uh, maybe you can't develop your back, maybe you feel your vertical jump should be higher, please comment below. Please, uh, please share um, uh, on, this, on this video so that we can help you further. Uh, anything else, Sean, before we go? Uh, I mean, I think we covered a lot. Just stay strong, stay focused, and keep grinding. Train hard, train smart. Love All it. right, we'll see you all next week.